That's for my solo later in the service. Y'all don't even know. That's funny. He don't want me to sing. Um, we've been talking for several weeks about um, a vision to be a church that builds strong families. And the predominant metaphor used in the New Testament for the church is not that we're a business. We're not that we're a flock, though there's certainly kind of parts of those word images that are appropriate. Uh, but the, the church is a family. And we've looked for several weeks at a um, particular passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And uh, the sermons have not been all the same from week to week, um, but it's kind of a teaching tool. Um, if you are a parent, you know that sometimes you have to tell your kid the same thing over and over and over and over again. And the point is repetition. Uh, sometimes, it, sometimes we learn the lesson really quickly. Sometimes we need a little more kind of going over to make sure that we get it. And the truth is, as we look at this passage, which is a comparison and a contrast that Jesus sets up between a wise man who builds his house upon the rock and a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand, there is a sense uh, in which, in, in, in my spirit, I feel like we could preach this message every week, and our culture, our nation needs to hear it. Because there is a lot of building our lives upon foolishness. And so uh, I have been challenged as we seek to be a church that has in the past built strong families and yet in the future wants to do more to build strong families. This passage has taken on a new meaning and new significance for me. And so um, you'll see the words on the screen. Uh, I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Translation. It is page 686 in the um, Pew Bible right in front of you. And so I want you to hear uh, yet again uh, what Jesus' words are related to our passage for our consideration this morning. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who has built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. In this passage, as we've looked uh, the last several weeks, Jesus provides a contrast between the life activities of two men. We've noted that he's not really talking about hard hats and scaffolding when he talks about building your house upon the rock or the sand. It's a metaphor. He's talking about the life activity that contributes to what you are building. And the truth is, everybody here, whether you happen to be in the construction trade or not, is building something. You're building your life. Here, Jesus uses the metaphor, your life is your home. And when we look at the comparison that Jesus establishes between the wise man and the foolish man, we've noted that everything about their activity looks the same. They hear the same words. They are engaged in the same activity. They are taking their pickup truck to Slows or to Home Depot, and they are trying to get everything done that they need to get done. They are building, obviously, in the same area, because when the storm comes, the same storm hits both people. Everything about them looks the same, yet one is deemed wise, and the other is called foolish. And we could stop right there, and we could examine our lives, 
and ask ourselves seriously, uh, are we building wisely? If someone could objectively evaluate your life and ask about how you are building, would you be the wise man in this illustration or would you be the foolish man? Are you building your life? Are we building our church with wisdom? Now, it'd be wonderful if every decision you ever faced, you had like a scriptural magic eight ball that you could shake. You know, do I buy new or used? Definitely no, you know. Or if you could take your Bible and, you know, should I date this girl? Should I date that girl? Not me, I'm married. But for you, if you're single, should you date this girl or date that girl? And you could go to the book of I Say So, and thus saith the Lord, Rebecca shall be thine, you know, arise and conquer. It would be wonderful if like every decision that you had, you could just kind of open up the book and like it would tell you, you wouldn't have to think, your job would just be to obey. And the Bible says like that's not the way that works. You are to take principles from the Bible and to use your best common sense, kind of spirit-inspired common sense to make wise decisions. God doesn't lay it all out there and just say, all right, um, no, that tie does not go with that shirt. You, you don't get that kind of advice. It's, it's wisdom. And not for something as trivial as how you dress, but how do we apply our Christian life to how we actually live? So Jesus does something that's not very politically correct. He evaluates these, these two dudes, and he calls one of them wise and one of them foolish. I'm not calling them foolish. Jesus is saying, if you, if you do this, you're a fool. If you do this, you're wise. How in the world did he make this evaluation? Well, his evaluation is very simple. Did they build upon the rock or did they build upon the sand? That seems pretty clear. And you have to ask the question, just to kind of play along, who in the world would intentionally build their house upon the sand? And the answer is no one. No one would imperil their life by building upon a foundation that cannot sustain it. The problem is you don't know that your foundation is bad until you have a problem. And then it's either very expensive or it's too late to fix it. So let's not forget here that Jesus is not talking about literal sand. What he's talking about is whether we have built our life according to his words. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine, my words, and acts upon them will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. He's setting up a, a very direct comparison. My words are the rock. Everyone who hears these words and does not act upon them will be like a man who builds upon the sand. So he's asking us a question here. Which of these two men have built their life upon his words, not just heard them, but acted upon them? And this forces us to ask the question, what role do the scriptures play in our life? Is it just, you know, kind of like Aesop's fables for Sunday morning? Um, Billy Graham said, you know, if all the Christians in the world would dust their Bibles off at the same time, we wouldn't see the sun for a year. You know, and I, I ask this question, and I'm, I'm sure that it's probably true. How many of you have more than five copies of the scripture in your house? More than 10 copies of the scripture in your house? Yeah. And unfortunately, if the statistics are true, the only time they get cracked open is on Sunday morning. It's terrible. And so the, the, the Bible's word to us is that it is re repetitive foolishness to not allow the word to affect us and to change us. You're not okay. That's what the Bible says. That's why God has to speak his words to tell you how is the wisest way to build your life. 
Are you building them on the right foundation? Do you merely appreciate the scriptures or do you live them out? I am in the process of commissioning both Scott Crouch and Reed Hopkins to ask our kids about what our family's Bible reading habits are. So that means you're going to be busy this week. Because you're going to make sure you read the Bible a lot with your kids. Do you know what the statistics are? Like 97% of families that go to church don't even crack the Bible open throughout the week. Friends, how in the world can we aspire to building strong families when the Bible tells us very plainly and clear that it has, you have to build upon the Word? And yet, we're not memorizing Scripture as families. When we get into, when your kid disobeys you, it's you better obey me because I brought you into this world and I will take you out of this world. Instead of the Bible says you're supposed to honor your elders. Don't, don't. You have no authority. Make your authority the word. And in your discipline of your kids, show that you're under the authority of God's word because that's the standard that's going to impact your family. So this morning, the Bible calls us to examine our motives. It tells us that we're supposed to love the word, that we're supposed to live the word, but we have to examine our, our motives because the truth is, if we're honest, we like to try to negotiate with God. And I have bad news for you. God does not um, negotiate with spiritual terrorists. He doesn't do it. And so we go, you know, hey, maybe if I put an extra buck in the plate, my next, well, yeah, um, maybe if I text in my offering, um, you know, an extra dollar, then maybe my next doctor's appointment will be okay. You know, maybe uh, the problems in my marriage, if I just go to church more, maybe magically my wife will change or my husband will change and like we'll like each other again and, and things will be tolerable. Or maybe if I, if I put like a fish on the back of my car, maybe I won't get a speeding ticket. Trust me, that does not work. Um, <clears throat> I think they have my license plate memorized. And so um, we try to negotiate. And the truth is, it's, it's, it's silly thinking. And none of us would say, oh, no, no, I'm not a spiritual terrorist trying to negotiate with God. But the truth is, you know how you know if you're a spiritual terrorist trying to negotiate with God? It's what do you do when bad things happen in your life? And you go, God, got it, God. I go to church. What have you just admitted? You have negotiated with God. And he is obligated now to make your life easier because you have done the good Christian boy or Christian girl thing. And friends, it, it doesn't work that way. There's no, there's no grading on a curve. There's no getting brownie points with God. But there is this sense in which we think that if we uh, love Jesus or act like we love Jesus and go to church or act like we like going to church, that life will be easier and bad things will not come our way. That's not true. So one of the things that's very important for us to establish this morning is that when we talk about building strong and building strong families, the truth is that building strong will not spare you from the storms of life. As a matter of fact, as our country continues and our culture continues to move away from any respect from God or His Word, standing upon the Word, building strong upon the right foundation, may actually bring storms into your life. And so here's the realization that we come to in Jesus' parable. The very same storm, the very same storm hits both the thoughtful builder and the thoughtless builder. And so at this point, I have recruited some reinforcements. 
And uh, I've got a couple people that are going to share some testimonies this morning about how God has used storms to rearrange some things in their life. And the very first one who's going to come and share this morning is going to be Brian Davis. So Brian, come on up here and share your story with us, please. you guys the same thing I asked the uh, first group this morning and that's please bear with me I'm very nervous up here when someone shares their personal testimony they usually begin by describing what life was like before coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior I am unable to do so as most of my past is not accessible to me at the age of 19 I was in a car accident that permanently changed my life Coming home from work late one night, I fell asleep while driving and crashed into a ditch with a concrete culvert. Going an estimated 45 miles per hour, the car came to a sudden stop, but I did not. I broke the seatbelt, the steering wheel, and my head. God was with me that night, and someone heard the crash. Mr. Johnson got out of bed, called an ambulance, and slowed the bleeding with a compress to keep me from bleeding out. When I regained consciousness, I quickly realized that I was unable to recall personal information, not even my name. After surgery, I began the slow process of recovery. Over the years, some of my pre-accident memories have returned, but not many. I had to drop out of college in my second year because I was no longer able to remember the things I had learned. Reading and writing were more of a challenge, and even my personality had changed. All of these things still challenge me today. When I went to my 10-year high school reunion, it was like meeting most of them for the first time. I told very few of them about my memory loss out of embarrassment. Amazingly, one of the things that I could remember was my relationship with God and how I had accepted Jesus as my Savior at the age of 10. I immediately began to question God why, growing angry over my circumstances. For years, I hid my brain damage and struggles from people because of anger and embarrassment. Growing older, I began to understand that my anger towards God and my circumstances was unjustified. I could have easily died that night or lost more functionality than I did. I turned to God and begged forgiveness for my anger and poor choices, telling him that I needed his help. From that moment on, I realized that God was not the source of my problems, but the answer to my problems. Looking back, I can see God's grace and love towards me even when I was disobedient. Jesus is more than my Savior, more than my King. He is my friend. Some people may see me and think that this guy has got it together, but nothing could be further from the truth. I am a broken man who can barely even remember people's names. Apart from God, we are nothing, and I am eternally thankful to have realized that I need him daily. Without the car wreck, I am not so sure I would have realized that. More recently, my son Caleb was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. This is, too, a reminder that each day of our lives brings a new set of challenges, but I know that the Lord is always in control. Having that assurance, along with the love and support that we have always received from our faith family here at Northside, provides a peace that is hard to put into words. God helps us with the storms of life by providing his son and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you. In our um, early service, it's commonplace for our senior adults to joke about senior moments. Some of you will figure out what that means in 20 years or so. You know, could you imagine in a moment, in an instant, not remembering anything? 
And no matter how furrowed you made your brow or scrunched up your face, you just couldn't recall those facts that used to come to you so quickly. Isn't it amazing that of all the things that he had forgotten, the one thing that he was able to hold on to was that he knew he'd made a commitment to the Lord. And that didn't, that didn't make your memories come back. It didn't make uh, the recovery or um, the attitudes go away immediately. But the one thing that he knew through all of that was that he had begun the process of building his life on the right foundation. And in the darkest moment of his life, he knew that God could be depended upon. And what's great about that is not that the story is something that we want to go and do likewise. We don't, we don't wish that on ourselves or on anyone. But now that his family starts to face another challenge, they have the confidence that the God who has been faithful to them in the past will indeed be faithful to them in the future. The truth is the storms will come into your life. Has, has anyone here besides um, Brian and our other testimony shares been through a storm that's messed up your life and kind of rearranged your priorities just a little bit? I mean, it happens. And so, you know, here's the thing. Your story, your storm may not deal with, um, with blood and plates in your skull. It might deal with broken relationships. It might deal with financial ruin. It might deal with, like, really immature decisions that have been made. It might be permanent scars. It could be a whole variety of things. But for those of us who are seeking to build our life on the rock, we're not promised to be spared through the storms. But we are promised something that I think is even more significant, and it's this. That if we seek to build our life on the rock of God's word, that for us, building strong means that the storms of life will make us better, not bitter. Now that realization doesn't dawn on you right away. Because the truth is, when the storms hit, you're like that, that dude in uh, Peanuts who's got the little cloud hanging over him. And it doesn't matter how fast he runs, that he, he cannot run the cloud. When you are in the challenge, it feels like it's never going to end. You feel like you're in that tunnel that never, you never see the light at the end of the tunnel. It is just perpetual and eternal darkness. But we're promised the fact that God will use the storms. Even in Brian's testimony, you heard a note of thankfulness that God used the storm to teach him the things about relying on God that he needed to learn. And so when we talk about the storms making us better, not bitter, in the journey and having the maturity to understand how the storms really do shape us. Donnie Fickling is going to come and share how God used a storm to rearrange her life. I was raised in a Christian home. There was never a time in my life that I was not aware of God and His love for me. I made up a song when I was very small that I would sing to myself when I was frightened. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and singing it when I slept out of my bed to make my way to my parents' room. The song is, The Lord is with me. He will never leave me as long as I live and when I die. When I was about 11, I made a public profession of faith and I was baptized at Gallivant's Ferry Landing in the Kootie River. I was a good kid and I never really gave my parents much trouble. Some of that could be chalked up to living in a small town and everyone knowing my dad who had grown up in that town he was a bivocational pastor there. I went to college, got married, and I had three beautiful children. But then my life fell apart. My marriage ended. And I was a single mother of three. And I was angry, and I was bitter. I was angry with God because despite my prayers, pleading and begging, my marriage had ended. Divorce was never in my game plan. 
And quite frankly, <clears throat> I felt that I deserved not to have to endure that pain. And I ate for my children and their pain, which is even more undeserved. After several years, I met a sweet and incredibly patient man. Wariness and caution very, very slowly evolved into trust. And after that, like rapidly evolved into love. We talked a lot. I found out much later that he almost quit dating me after one of our conversations. He asked me about my faith. He knew that I went to church and I took my children and I prayed with them. But he asked me how I really felt about God. I told him that God didn't have much use for me and I felt the same way about him. He told me much later that he looked at me and thought, I cannot take this woman home to meet my mother. <laughs> but apparently he saw my answer on that topic as not final. My son Daniel, who was five at the time, asked him one evening, are you going to marry my mama? So after Daniel proposed to him, he proposed to me. <laughs> we talked about what church we would attend and I agreed to attend Northside, but I warned him that I would attend and only attend. He need never look for me to be involved on any level other than that. I was as done with church as I was with God. So we got married here, right there, in this church 14 years ago with our children and our families in attendance. We got married on a Friday, left for the weekend, came back on Sunday evening. Monday morning we got up, got kids off to school and went to work. Our lives together had begun. We had full-time jobs and six kids, one in York Tech, three in high school, one in middle school, and one in elementary school. Our days were filled with baseball and football and volleyball games and swim meets, kids learning to drive, homework, school lunches, all the things that a family does. But my bitterness remained. It was a quiet simmer. But I had discovered that God is not content to leave his children in dark places. A women's Bible study was offered here at Northside, and I went. I don't remember the topic of the study. I do remember that Gail Stokes led it. She asked of each of us to tell why we were interested and why we were there. I responded that I, answered, that I had heard. It was a good study. I wanted to see if it lived up to why I, I had heard. You see, I wore my cynicism like a protective cloak, and I was very quick to wave it. The study, the, the study was video-driven, and the speaker said in the first session, sometimes God has to move us to change us. And I remember not being able to breathe for a moment. Then something happened that has not happened to me since. I have felt the presence of God many times, and I have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit many, many times. But in that moment, I felt the touch of God. I had a sensation of cool water pouring on the crown of my head and rippling down my spine. In that moment, I knew that God had not left me. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't believe for a moment that God engineered my divorce. He does, however, allow choices to be made. We are not mindless robots, and our decisions have repercussions. Decisions were made that led to marriage ending. And there were also things in me that needed changing. But most importantly, I knew beyond any doubt that God had never abandoned or rejected me. He was always with me, just like in my childhood song. And so change began. My realization that I had not been abandoned changed my bitterness into gratitude, 
and my fury into peace. Out of that women's study blossomed a passion for Bible study. I've always been an avid reader, but my focus has now become scripture and the beauty that is in those pages. And this church has been here for me and for my family. We've been nurtured and fostered here. We've been encouraged here. We've been taught and discipled here. And we have wonderful friends here. This church has been here while we've raised six teenagers. Northside was here when we got married, through graduations, through baptisms of our children, through victories and through hard times. Northside was here for us and our daughter. And the sweet little boy with extreme medical challenges was born. And Northside was here for us when we buried our sweet little grandson four short years later. I cannot imagine my life without the sure and certain love and mercy of God and his redemptive power and without his church, this church, in our lives. Aren't you grateful for a God that can make the sun shine out of the biggest downpour? I mean, the sunrise seems so bright because the, the, the night is so dark. And the, the morning that we go through is so bitter, but he promises to be able to bring joy out of the most abject of circumstances. What I love most about this story is how uh, with both uh, Brian and Donnie, there was anger and there was bitterness and there was disappointment. And yet God just kind of lovingly, patiently wooed them. He didn't force himself upon them like a tyrant or like some kind of dictator, but he patiently used behind the scenes the circumstances of life to create and to orchestrate this beautiful song that one day would not be resisted. And that's the story of how, how God wins our hearts, too. The Bible says very naturally we are the enemies of God, and we don't want anything to do with Him. But eventually we wisen up, and we understand how God has been behind the scenes establishing His testimony, and one day we can no longer resist. When we're young and impetuous and not wise, we fight God for all we're worth. And then when we get a little bit older, we realize that our arms are just a little too short to box with God. And he wins. And he draws us not forcibly, but love, love, lovingly, because he has a um, plan of grace for each of us. I want you to notice something important about our Bible passage and about the stories that we're hearing here today. Um, again, you know, we, t- we tend to think that there is the at least the remote possibility that when we decide to build our life upon the rock, that things are going to be easier. We're going to be blessed. I mean, we are blessed, but usually our blessings are kind of turned into like material things. Jesus doesn't say that if you build your house on the word that it's going to mysteriously glow in the dark or that your little log cabin is going to expand into a mansion. Boom. Next time it rains, your little house, wow, look at what we've got. Actually, when you look at the storyline of what Jesus is saying about these houses, there's very little about them that is impressive. We're not told anything about whether they had double-paned windows filled with argon gas or what the R factors of their insulation is. None of those details are present to us because Jesus is saying, listen, uh, from the outside, the wise man's house and the foolish man's house looks the same. 
The point is not about the aesthetics, but about the endurance. Jesus doesn't promise that there's anything magical that's going to happen with your house, except the fact that when the storms come, your house will make it, and the other person going through the exact same storm is not going to make it. It's not going to happen. There's no in-between. There's either the house that's built upon the rock and survives, or the one that doesn't. And in the same way, listen, we live in a day and age where we watch the we're into special effects and we watch the television preachers that say, you know, you send me money and all your, all your ills are going to be gone and you send me money and you'll get more money and, and, and we live for the sensational. What Jesus is saying about the house that's built upon the rock is that building strong means that we build to survive. We build for survival, not for sensation. Jesus' only promise is not that everything's going to be peachy keen for you, but you will make it through the storms of life. And that should be enough. Can I promise more money in your account? Can I promise that your car's never going to break down? Can I promise that there's not going to be difficulties that you face? But he promises that you will survive. Candy Brakefield is going to come and she's going to share her story about how God used a storm in her and David's life to make very clear to them about what was most important. Which is a great thing for me because that gives me free reign to do whatever I want to do up here. And this is what I want to do. I want to sing to our Savior. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for loving me today. Thank you, God, for loving me. Without your love, I would not be. And I thank you, God, for loving me today. I thank you, God, for loving me today. April the 13th, 2010. It was a Tuesday, and I was in this very same sanctuary, and I sang that song to God as I left. How do I know I sang that song? Because I always sang that song when I exited this, this sanctuary. I had been in here that morning. March the 31st, 2010, David and I had paid off our last little bill, and we were completely debt-free. Praise God. But we knew something that you didn't know. We knew that April 1st, 2010, David would be taking a 15% pay cut, and we still had Alex to get through with us. So when I was in here that morning as I sat, and I can tell you I was right on that stair, I was praying to God, and I was praying back to him my life verse, which is Psalms 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Now, at that particular moment, I wasn't really afraid. We didn't have any bills, but it was a little bit of uneasiness that kind of comes into you when you don't know exactly what the future is going to hold. And so when I left here, I was singing, and I was just giving it all to God. I got to work at York Tech, and about 10.30, I received a phone call, and it was a deputy on the line. And he said, Miss Breckfield, you need to come home. There's been a small fire at your house. So I ran to my car as fast as a 50-something-year-old woman can run, calling the boys, trying to get them on the phone, and I'm going to my house, and I'm praying as I'm going, but I'm also going, God, I don't really understand this. What's going on? 
I was not prepared when I pulled up to our house to see a whole bunch of strangers in my front yard. I was not prepared when I pulled up to our house to see fire trucks from every volunteer fire department at our house. I was not prepared to see total destruction of everything that we own. I was not prepared. You know, when I think of God and I think of God's hands, I think about a verse in Isaiah 49, 16 that says, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Every time I envision God, I think of that verse. When I think about Jesus Christ, I imagine when he was sitting there and he was talking talking to Thomas, who was doubting, and he said, Thomas, feel my hands, touch your finger. But when I think of the hands of the Holy Spirit, Somebody had called Pastor Jerry, and evidently he got the word out fast because you showed up in droves. You offered us words of encouragement. You gave us hugs. You prayed in my ear. You even did like Sammy Clowney and said, Honey, if you need me to testify that you did not stop that fire, I will promise that you did not go anywhere near that stove. That's friend for you. Whew. As the day went on and it was a little bit crazy and David and I got times when we could just kind of talk to each other and, or look at each other, I can remember some things that we said. One was we just kept telling each other, we just lost stuff. We didn't lose anything else. We just lost stuff. The second thing that we kept telling each other was we were going to be as honest as we possibly could be with the insurance company. I know Larry Muncy thanks us for that one. We also knew that we were going to stand firm on my life verse, Psalms 56.3. We were going to trust in God. And finally, we just kept assuring each other that while we lost stuff, we did not lose our salvation. That was not taken from us that day. Now, I just want to share a few of the things that you did for me. And so many people did so much. If I leave somebody out, forgive me, because I can only do a couple. One was, everybody had finally just about left and left us there. And David and I are still kind of standing in shock, looking at our shell of our log home, which he didn't realize that we had. And Dewey's family pulls up in the driveway. Dewey's mother gets out of the car, and she walks to me, and she hands me a grocery bag. And in that grocery bag are some shoes. And I thought to myself, why is she giving me shoes? And God said, have you not comprehended yet? Look down. And as I did, I saw that I was dressed in the outfit that I had just bought from Goodwill and my favorite pair of red high-heel shoes. How humbling it is when you know that the only thing you have left is each other and the only other thing you have is Jesus Christ. Wow. The old 
older class back here, the ladies that's back in this room, they decided that they would adopt Alex and just pour their love into him. That is nothing but the Holy Spirit. Because you see, even David and I didn't realize for a couple of months that Alex thought he had burned the house down. He had changed out the ceiling fan, and he was convinced that he did it. David did it. He's not here, so I can say that now. He left his computer on. But we had no way. So who? those ladies had no clue of that. The Holy Spirit, working through them, ministered to my child. Loved my child. You loved me. Somebody gave us a $100 gift card to J.C. Penney along with a coupon, and we went in to use it. And we were there, and we had bought some towels. It was the first purchase that we made. And we go in, and we get $110 and some change in towels. And I slide that gift card over, and I slide that coupon over, and it's $99.95. David and I looked at each other. We just burst out laughing. But see, what Joe allowed us to do was because we were so hilariously laughing, we got to share our testimony and what Jesus Christ was doing in our life at that very minute with this cashier. It was awesome. Then some of the ladies here gave us some books that had children's pictures in it. And I was so grateful at the time, but I was really grateful when number one son got married and they asked for pictures for the slideshow because I may not have had him. Y'all poured yourself out on us like a drink offering. And finally, one last thing. Marianne, I know you're in here. She wrote me a letter. See, Mary Ann was scared that I didn't have my Bible, and she wanted to make sure that I had, see, the, some of her favorite Bible verses. And as I was reviewing what I was going to talk to you about today, and I, I went back and I pulled her letter. It was like five pages long. This verse jumped out at me. It's Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Y'all tied them as symbols on your hands as you minister to my family. How in the world do people face storms in their life without the church family? How in the world do people face storms without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that they could trust when they're afraid in Jesus Christ? I don't want to know. Finally, I just have to leave you with this. It's going to be the worst thank you that you probably have ever received. Thank you all for loving us. Thank you all for loving us. Thank you all for loving us that day. 
Thank you all for loving us and reminding us in God we trust. Thank you all for loving us that day. I thank you all for loving us told you all I hired reinforcements. Listen, as we talk about building strong families and that being a, a, a mission and a vision that galvanizes and helps us decide what we're going to do in the future and what we're not going to do. Because churches, listen, churches get busy. And sometimes we allow good things to choke out the greatest thing, the best thing. Do you, do you sense the absolute importance and vital need for us to build strong families, not just internally for us but for people that don't even know we exist yet you see sometimes even people in the church have no idea they how much they need the church until they need the church did you catch that you don't know how much you need the church until you need the church and there are people out there who need the church and don't even know that the church exists and yet most churches spend the vast majority of their budget keeping themselves happy instead of trying to build strong families where everyone is encouraged to put Christ first. The challenge for us is not to build a building. We could build a building. Might be a real small one right now, but we could build a building. Building strong families that's a target I'm glad to aim for all the days of my life. Because we will build strong families until he returns or he calls us home. We're only going to build a building for a couple of years. We can't assume that the way that the media portrays life is accurate. Because I think we think that you've got all these goody-two-shoe Christians over here and you've got all these godless, anti-God, pagan God-haters over here and that there's no one in between. And the truth is, you might just be standing in line behind someone who's hilariously buying towels, giggling with giddiness as they buy $100 worth of towels. And God may be at work around you in ways that you don't understand because you're not even in the game. Because as long as things are good with you and your family, you're okay. But God calls us to have a Great Commission vision that doesn't just determine where we do one or two mission trips a year God calls us to be on mission 24-7, 365. And that means in your workplaces, in your homes, with the families that you know. One of the things that I love, <coughs> we don't want building strong families to simply be something that we crochet and hang on the walls. It becomes a good slogan that looks nice on our bulletin. We want it to be something that is a true representation of who we are. And friends, what you've heard this morning is three people who have already said, that's our secret sauce. It's what we've done. We've been a church that's loved people and encouraged them to put Christ first in the midst of tremendously challenging difficulties. So here's my question. 2016. Can we love one more family in such a way that next year when testimonies are shared, people can say, this church helped me to figure out what life is all about. You think we can handle one more family? 
You think we'd handle two more families? How many families do you think we could handle? Because the truth is, God's already provided the resources that we need. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us a family. The only question that remains is whether we'll be obedient to that. The best thing that you could do this morning, if you want to build strong families, is not to put something in the offering plate, though that helps. It allows us to do ministry. Um, It's not to have a perfect attendance when it comes to Bible study, though that certainly won't hurt. It's to build your family strong. And we're fully aware that, listen, life is full of storms. The problem is some of the storms are even self-inflicted. That's really painful. Because you realize that the storm that you're in is through bad decisions. But we will never be stronger as a church than we are as individuals and as individual families. And so today, if you need to ask yourself the question, whether you're building wisely, whether you're building on the rock, whether you're building a family, a life that will endure the storms of life. However you answer it, today is a chance for you to do better. Today is a day for you to trust more. Today is a day to say, God has super abundantly blessed me, and now I'm going to use his blessings to bless others. Because friends, that's the testimonies that you've heard today. That God has used his people to change people's lives for eternity. That's the kind of church that we want to be when it comes to building strong families. And my prayer is that as a church, we can be united in that calling to fulfill the Great Commission every Sunday that we meet, every day that we draw breath, and that we have a line out the door of people who are willing to share testimonies a year from now about how our church has helped them to build strong families. God, we need so desperately to have our eyes open to the realities of life. And there are sweet blessings that you give us. We see beautiful uh, sunrises, and we love to watch uh, the ocean roll in, and we um, enjoy the flowers of spring. There are many just common blessings that you share with us. But God, we can't be um, like ostriches that stick our head in the sand and just assume that everything is just so fine because we have to put up with the the real stuff of real life. And even here in our midst, there are families that struggle. There are marriages that are not strong. There are parents that are alienated from children. There are husbands that are not leading their families the way that you tell them that they should. There are wives that are bitter towards their husbands. There are Christians who live their Christianity out on this campus, but then don't engage the lost world around them in their neighborhoods and in their workplaces. And God, we just need very simply for you to convict us of the lack of wisdom and the apathetic attempts that we've made to build upon your word. And we pray that by your spirit and for your glory that you will bring us to repentance and that you will help us to understand that our best days are in front of us. And as we prepare to close our service today and as we sing about the redemption offered to us in Christ, and because it's just not possible to deal with people's situations in 30 seconds or less, God, I pray that today, if there are people that need to talk about building their strong family, 
that you'll give them the courage to speak with me or with one of our staff. That as we have the opportunity to enjoy a good meal uh, downstairs and support our youth, uh, that perhaps even around the tables, that you'll allow us to not just have conversations about, wow, this is really good food, that you help us to feast upon your word. And you help us to encourage one another to build strong for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.